welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys, and welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I'm so excited. You can see my pal Bill Barron sitting over here, and this is the part of the show where I do that awkward thing where I talk about him, and he just has to sit there and listen. <laughs> So you guys know, I don't normally read people's bios, but this is legit. Like Bill's like the real deal. And I want to make sure I get it right and don't just spin off into some excitement about why I love him. So I'm going to ground you in some facts about my awesome guest today, uh, Bill Barron. So Bill is the chief executive officer of the Big Shift LLC, and he's the chief product officer of Empowered Education. Uh, he is a world-renowned business coach which I can attest to more on that in a little bit. He's an educator and a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. He has started and grown four different multi-million dollar businesses and has mentored hundreds of seven-figure CEOs. Um, over 50,000 people, Jesus, that's a big, over 50,000 people from 22 countries have participated in his online and live trainings. I'm one of them. And he has had a particular passion for helping mission-driven coaches step into their true genius and to make their impact known in the world. Um, he holds a Bachelor of Science, a BS, <laughs> in values and technology with an emphasis on computer science. And you guys, check this out. He also has a Bachelor of Arts in Russian literature from Stanford. So wicked smarty pants sitting here, number one. He's also a huge sports fan. I'll say this just for him. Go Warriors in Stanford football. <laughs> and he loves hosting dinner parties with his beautiful wife, Gia, who you guys, she's a total sweetheart. Uh, in his former and past lives, you guys, he's done so many cool things. He's participated in the World Series of Polka, which I definitely want to talk about. Uh, he's produced hit songs. Uh, he's DJed in five different countries in front of packed crowds. So you can see my friend here has like done a bunch of wicked cool stuff. And I came to know Bill. I always talk about it like this. So I was on Facebook one day and I saw this dude in a funky hat doing a video talking about business. And you know, I'd been an entrepreneur, I guess, like it's such a funny thing to even still call myself that, but I had been an entrepreneur, quote unquote, for like 18 years. And I had just taken my business as far as it could go. Like I was like, I need some help. Uh, and I just kind of had put it out to my spiritual team. And all of a sudden I see this dude on this video talking about premium packages, success systems. And I'm like, what's up with this dude? <laughs> and I started to listen to him and everything he was saying made total sense. And what it was, is it was like business with consciousness. And it was all about like his vibe. I'm like, his language sounded to me, to me, very A Course in Miracles-y. And I was like, oh, this dude gets it. Like he's laying down business and explaining business in a way that I could really pick up. It really landed from his heart into my heart. 
and I wanted to know more. And so I joined Premium Packages Success Systems, got a ton of value out of it, and then I was invited to what's called the Big Shift Experience, which is these incredible weekend retreats that Bill would do. And uh, I learned so much from that Big Shift Experience. And from there, I joined his coaching programs, the Big Shift. And he's been my business mentor uh, for over two years now. And I just completed the All Stars program with him. And you guys, he and his team have totally changed the way I look at business. They've changed my life in a significant way. And I'm just a huge fan of the Bill Barron. <laughs> so I'm wicked excited that he said yes to be on the show. I'm thrilled to share him with you. I love him. I think by the end of this, you're going to love him. So Bill Barron, welcome. Long intro to the Karen wow. Kenny Show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really interesting. You, you, you were saying like you're an entrepreneur. I was like, I, I, I read the quotes in it and I was like, I think you're an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. And apparently I'm a serial entrepreneur. And that means yes. I create cereals. Yeah, well, really funny, because I wanted to talk to you about this. This was one of my questions, because like when I was a kid, not once, like first of all, and I want to talk about your history too, in your background, especially with your parents and stuff like that. But when I was a kid, you know, I was a blue collar kid and everybody had jobs. Mm. Nobody was starting their own business, except for like after my mother was killed, we went to go live with an aunt and uncle. And my uncle was a contractor. And he had like his own business, but he had built for other people for a long time. He had done a lot of the buildings and stuff like MIT, Boston University. He had done a bunch of buildings in Boston, but then he kind of went out on his own. And I just remember him like crunching numbers once in a while, but even still it was removed. It wasn't like we came from a people that were entrepreneurs. So I think even when I started my yoga studio and went out on my own, I never identified as a business person. I never really identified as an entrepreneur. And even now it makes me chuckle and laugh because so much of what I do is just, it's like intuitive spreading the love and then I exchange it for money, but I still don't feel like a hardcore business person, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, go ahead. I always find it funny. It's like, like entrepreneurs are their own sort of breed these days. But like when you really think in terms of, the history of time. And I'm actually reading this really cool book. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called Sapiens. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the very beginning of the book, but it's really like mapping out the history of humankind, even when, you know, like Homo erectus and Neanderthals and all of that were other humans living at the same time as Homo sapiens, right? And I think about, all right, well, initially, what did we do? Like we took care of ourselves. We got food, we hunted, we gathered, we yeah. traded whatever we got. And that was like the first entrepreneurship. Like I have access of something and I'll trade you for something else. Right. Yes. And then like the idea of a job, I mean that it is a relatively new concept <laughs> for humankind. It's new. Like that's not how it was. Like you like, always did some things to make money. Like I even think about like newsboys in the 1920s. Yes. Like they would just get newspapers and that, that was the distribution fall of the newspapers, right? That's why they needed like really incredible headlines because the newsboys needed to yell it out. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the newsboys got half and then the newspaper got the other half, right? But that, those were entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's fascinating when you think of it like that, because so instead of saying we always did things for money, I would say we always did things for stuff 
what commerce was like, I've got flour, you've got cornmeal, let's do a trade. Or I got chickens, you've got whatever, right? So but it was basically a means to stay alive, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, when you look at it like that, um, that's really true. And what I find so interesting about you is that, so your parents were Ukrainian immigrants, correct? Yes. So were you born here or what age were you when you guys came here? Uh, I was 12. We got to the United States on a very auspicious day. It was 7 7 Wow. Like we land on this Pan Am airline flight uh, from Rome, Italy, because we, we were living in this little refugee thing while we were waiting for some country to let us in. And the U.S. did. And it was like... Pan Am Airline into Kennedy Airport. Holy shit. And I'm like, what is going on here? It was like insane. So, so yeah, so think about that. Like 12 is different than three, right? Yes. Like 12, like you're an established, like you're like a Ukrainian kid. Yeah. So yeah. you're beginning upbringing, like, and then you're here. <laughs> and then it's like, did you live immediately like in the Bay Area? Were you in California? No, I was in the, in, the, in the Mecca of civilization, New Jersey. Wow. Okay. So the reason why I find this so fascinating is because I'm sure, all right, I don't want to stereotype, but I am sure my gut instinct is Ukrainian parents, hard workers, fearful of a lot of things, right? And so like everything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine, it's kind of like how I felt as a blue collar kid making money was always hard. Like life was just hard. Like it was nothing came easy. It always like was a ball busting hard, right? Yeah. So I remember you telling us this story though, like you, but here's the thing, Bill, about entrepreneurs. Some of us, I think, come through with a little bit more of it than others. Like you from the time you were a kid. So tell us about like, the thing with the, with the groceries, like when you had the idea, like you started making dollars when you were a kid. So you were young. So how was your language? Were you able, like, were you, were you already speaking English and stuff? No, but I'll take you to Italy where okay. now, you know, I, it's my first time in this crazy country. I don't speak Italian and I never learned Italian because I was like, I might as well get started on English. Right. right. I started learning English when I was in Italy, but so I like, and I was a hustler. I was a little hustler. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to make things work. So I, I noticed cause in Italy, the gas stations, they, they were, they didn't have attendance. Okay. We came in and you put money into this little slot and then you push the slot in and then you got whatever gas that that particular currency got, got you. And I realized that, wait, when it rained, people didn't want to do that themselves. Yeah. But when it rained, I went to the gas stations and I would just put their money in, pump the gas for tips. So that was like my first job. And then, uh, and I actually remember this, that the Italian kids were like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> right? Making money is what he's doing. And so they're like, we're going to start doing that at regular times. So I was like, I was the immigrant kid. I took the rain shifts and they got all the other shifts because they would just kick my ass. Yeah, if but dude, you, you've been doing this though your whole life. You have been a leader and an innovator for like some, from the time you were a kid. And, and something just popped into my head. I was thinking about this. When I think about entrepreneurship as like 
businesses that become companies that become corporations, a lot of money, a lot of people. Like I don't identify with that. But if I think of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs as being problem solvers, I'm like, okay, that I totally relate to. And that's what you were doing is you have a mind that sees a problem and is curious enough to try and find a solution, but that not just benefits the people with the problem, but also benefits you. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fantastic. And I love this. And I think, all right, okay, you're a kid from the Ukraine. You're in New Jersey. Dude, Stanford, music mogul, big shift like big time business dude like how like what what's the trajectory for that like are you in junior high or high school and then you just decide like like how did stanford happen so i, I don't even know how stanford happened but um i think by the time i was in the 11th grade i even though i didn't really study i wasn't one of those studious kids i'm not yeah. like a stereotypical good student who likes yeah. to open books. Uh, but I was always figuring out ways to win no matter what it was. Right? <laughs> like, get good grades, you know, and I think my game was how do I get good grades without doing anything? That was the game that I was in. Hustling. Yeah, I was winning that game. And so, you know, by the time, like my junior year, I was like, oh, I've got to go to college because it was like education was important uh, to my parents and it became de facto important to me. So I was like, all right, I got to figure out where I want to go. Uh, I'll figure out my senior year. And so my senior year, I went to the guidance counselor. You know, I kind of lived in a somewhat of a, like, I mean, at the time we were calling it ghetto town, right? It was Elizabeth, New Jersey. I was like, by, you know, Russians were a minority, but like a Russian Jewish kid and a white kid in my school, there was, that was a minority as well. Yeah. Uh, but I loved, loved, loved my experience. Had lots of friends. And at that point, people were saying, like, college, college. And I was like, I don't know what I can do. I don't know where I can get in. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to work all summer long so I can get enough money to send out, like, 40 college applications. Wow. So I just sent out 40 college applications thinking that maybe, like, one of these schools are going to accept me. Dude, that's I had no idea. I had no context. I didn't have like a network that would tell me. And then, like the last week before uh, applications, the U.S. news reports came out of the top colleges, and I saw Stanford was number one. I was like, "Shit, I didn't apply to Stanford." <laughs> so I like, put it all together, applied to Stanford, and uh, and I waited, and like all these acceptance letters started to come in. I was like, holy moly, like everybody accepted me. Dude. And I still don't know why or how. And then, then the Stanford thing came in. I opened the thing and I was like, oh my God, you're giving me this kind of scholarship? Like it became apparent that that was by far, not only the number one school of the country at the time, but it was also the best possible deal. Yes. Wow. And so off I went. And the good news, it was, uh, it was further from New Jersey and from where I lived. And so that gave me a completely different like, view on life and people. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm huge in entrepreneurship. And I, and I think on some level, education is not always a predictor of success. 100% believe that. 
Uh, and at the same time, being at Stanford at that particular school with that culture, with so many like incredibly accomplished people, it's like companies were started at a really young age. Like my next door neighbor was like, a, you know, the heir to the DuPont fortune. <laughs> my roommate freshman year who was seven foot wound up playing for the New York Knicks. I mean, it's just like world of possibility. Oh my God. It was incredible. So I, and that's where I think like the next level of entrepreneurship kind of woke up in me. I was like, there's no, no one is covering entertainment. Yeah. So I'll start a little magazine and that became like a weekly and that became really popular. But I started a magazine because I had a DJ company. I was like, when I start a magazine, I could really create a party section and my company is going to DJ a lot of parties. So I'll get more party gigs. Right. So that fascinating really well. And then, um, but my favorite memory of that was, so like the daily newspaper decided now well, shit, that magazine is doing well. We're going to do a weekly insert that's entertainment. And, uh, and then on April 1st, I remember this to this day, I got to f- dig this out. They created, the magazine was called Release that I ran. They created a, a spoof version of Release. Wow. And they distributed throughout the entire campus. And because I was so involved, Every single byline and every single article in that magazine was written by me. (laughs) And I was like, and for me at the time, that was the biggest win of my life. Sure. I mean, a hundred year old establishment uh, at an institution starts to spoof what you're doing. I've arrived. You've arrived because people are noticing. And there's so many points here that I want to jump off of. Very quickly, I just can speak for myself that when I left Boston and went to L.A., talk about shifting perspective and point of view. Like, that was huge for me. It totally changed the trajectory of my life. So I can really relate from being an East Coast kid who, like, ends up on the West Coast and going like, whoa. And that's what I always say. Like, I have an East Coast attitude with a West Coast uh, mentality. It's kind of like a West Coast vibe. And it's like a beautiful blend of the two. And I think I feel that. I feel that in you too. And I I really love that. And there was a story that I once read about you that I'm fascinated about this whole thing about Stanford and then the DJing and then I want to start a label. And I think this will be helpful for the people who tune in because I think so many people, and and I say this with, um, I say this with true respect to, to my parents. But, you know, my mother dying when I was 12, um, and then my father's, my biological father, my stepfather, just like not, like just whatever, right? They're around still, but like whatever. They didn't raise me after, you know, at at all. It's like I have a freedom where I'm not tethered by what are my parents going to think. I don't have to worry about what anybody other than me and the divine is going to think of me, Right. And so I know that when you decided like, oh, after Stanford, I'm not going to do the typical thing. I want to start a record label and correct me if I'm wrong. But there's, a, I remember a story one time about you have to now have a conversation with your parents, your immigrant parents. Like, I want to go do this thing. And you did something really powerful. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something to them like, 
well, first of all, I got to do this in a responsible way so that they can get on board and you talk to them. But you said something like for the next year or two or whatever it was, you're not allowed to like criticize me or nag me or make me fearful or try to talk me out of it. Can you talk about this a little bit? Because I think so many people get held back out of fear about what their parents or whoever is going to say about their dream. Yeah. So I had a conversation with them basically saying, like, this is what I want to do. I know it doesn't make sense. I know I'm getting this job for six bucks an hour and I only have 10 hours a week that I'm working. And from with, with a Stanford degree in computer science and Russian lit, like it's, <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? But I really want to do this. And can, can I just have two years to prove that I'm going to be a success? And for two years, let's not, let's not talk about it, right? And interestingly enough, I had a conversation about this with my dad and it was a completely different perception for them. At the time? No, no, just, this was like three months ago. No, no, right. So but I guess what I'm saying is, so in this conversation three months ago, they are, they're now telling you what they were thinking at that time? They, the, uh, my dad didn't remember that conversation. My dad said that he's never been bought in. And even now <laughs> that I've had success in the music business, he just completely regrets, number one, that I went to Stanford, number two, that I ever did music. It's like, it was like a little Twilight Zone episode. Wow. Found, but I used that opportunity, even though it was not an easy conversation for either one of us. I think we were both hurt by that conversation. But I left that conversation afterwards thinking, oh my God, like, you know, I love him so much and we're such different beings. Yes that like there, there's just no uh, frame of reference to even understand where I'm coming from on things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was, it, it, was, it was a fascinating experience. And, uh, you know, it was deeply hurtful for both of us. And yet, you know, I feel like there's so much healing that happened for me that I feel a greater sense of freedom in my own self now, even though I've always done what I want. Yeah, I think it's really, um, I often have, so I do this, my, my friends kind of laugh sometimes, I always go like this, what the fuck is happening right now? Like I do that like three times a day. <laughs> so I feel like that a lot of times about like, when you have people, and, and this is the whole thing, we, I think we have an expectation that either because you fathered me or you're my sibling or we're in the same family, like whatever the thing is, that we're maybe having a tiny bit of the same experience. Like that maybe we're from the same source. <laughs> yeah. And I realize like, oh, no, right? Like I just think so often like, oh. And I came to this conclusion about, um, uh, about you know my my father's and I kind of just thought one day like oh on some level it's not very loving of me to expect them to be able to do something that they're not capable of doing and just not take it personally and it's just like cool. yeah and just say like oh like I'm just and it's not bad I always say I'm just different I'm just different than them and so I can just now take any of the, those hooks of resentment or expectation or whatever disappointment and like I was just like oh they're just who they fucking are my dad's like 75 and he's not gonna change like this is who he is you know and I can still love him exactly as he is but we have really different POVs yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, I find it. I let find go, letting go of the expectation that Bingo. they are going to see me, that they're going to love me for yes. who I am rather than some concept. And that's pretty, empower, pretty empowering. It's like, no. Like, that is not their role. Their role is not to see me. Their role is to bring me up. Their role is to give me love. Their role was to nurture me through my, you know, growing experience. Yeah. And now my job as an adult is to love them for who they are and to not expect anything of them that they're simply not able to give. And oh. you know, the amount of love that I have for them is you know, ballooned. But there's that. so much, there's so much freedom in that. Mm -hmm. Like everybody just, we can just cut to shit and relax around each other and just go like, oh, just accepting people for who they are. And I think this is so interesting because one of the things you first said, I remember when I, I started the Big Shift coaching program and I was just amazed. I was amazed by so many things, <laughs> but I was really amazed at like watching like, because it was a group program, right? And then just kind of watching how everybody is like, I'm an entrepreneur and I want to start this business. And they show up and we'd be on these group calls. And sometimes, and I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just being honest. It's just an observation. Like six, seven, eight months in, people are still crying on the call about the same thing that like we started with on week one. And I thought, this is so fascinating. And one time on one of the calls you had said, Hey, look, if you want to, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was basically like, if you want to know yourself, because I think we're talking about knowing other people, but I think in business and in life, you better know yourself. <laughs> and you said, if you want to know yourself and all your bullshit, start a business. And so I thought it was so cool how you were talking about professional exploration is really mining the personal. So will you just talk about that a, a little bit? Like, like, for other people, and then I would be curious to hear what was one of the biggest things, positive, negative, good, bad, I don't, you know, that you learned about yourself when you started doing business too? <sighs> yeah, so not every business is, is created equal. And, you know, because I, I think about like in the sort of a transformational business or coaching businesses or businesses that are there to make a difference and serve people in some sort of a way. They're very different kind of businesses than somebody who's selling widgets. <laughs> and like when we think about, there's a lot of people who have created a tremendous amount of success with gloriously shitty mindsets. <laughs> with uh, zero self-awareness. With like like tunnel vision blinders on and everything that they do. Yeah. But the people that are starting businesses as coaches, the people that are starting businesses in, in some sort of transformational work and healing and all of that, mm -hmm. it's a very different thing because on some level, you are the message. Yes. And you've got to be the, the walking embodiment of your work. Double amen hands for the people at home who can't see me. If you're listening and not watching, I'm double amen in my boy, Bill Byrne, because perk up your ears and listen to what he's saying. This is so important. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And it's like when I think about, I was like, oh my God, as a, as a coach and for example, in the, I'll use a coach as an example in your first two years in business. Yeah. 
you know, you've got to learn how to coach. You have to understand the skills. You have to understand people. You have to understand yourself. You've got to be the message. You have to become an entrepreneur. You have to learn sales. You've got to learn marketing. You got to do all of these things while taking care of yourself, taking care of your family, taking care of your finances. Dude. It is a motherfucker of a path. Dude, you ain't kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And because it is such an interesting and uh, varied path where mastery needs to be evolved into in so many different arenas that it's, it's like it, it, there's some gestation time. Yes. That, that happens, right? And so, and then you're like, why am I confronted with all these fears? <laughs> why yes. is like every single issue and every single trauma that I've experienced oh. in my entire life is coming to the surface. Yes. It's all coming up, right? Yes. And it's like, whoa, man, I, <laughs> I never signed up for this. Right? <laughs> I thought I was gonna be make, people are like I thought I was just here to make some money. What? What? Why am I crying in the middle of my bathroom floor? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And and that's the reason why it's like it's an accelerated program of personal growth, of spiritual development, and of of uh, human deepening. Yes. And I that. I would not trade that for the world, even though there were times where I was kicking and screaming and going, what did I sign up for? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I feel like now that I've said, check, this is my journey. This is it. This is my life. So now every situation becomes that. And it's yes. not always pleasant, but I feel like my understanding of who I am, my knowing of who I'm not on yes. every level. Yes. I'm talking about from the deeply spiritual levels all the way to like more of the nuts and bolts here are my gifts level as well. Yes. It's a really powerful thing. You know, it's like my wife and I, Gia, we have this, uh, you know, we're not the only people in the world to use this term, but we're like, life is about staying in your lane. And it's like so much of suffering come from us staying in our lane, right? Like, and how can we be grateful for every upset, for every pain, for every physical ailment? Because they're just here to let us know that we are out of alignment with our true self. Double, double amen you again, Mel. I mean, yeah, you, you speak, we speak the same language. Like I, I feel it so much. And I, I am, I always say this, like, I am so grateful. Like I always say, I might not have gotten what I wanted, but I have always gotten what I needed. And I am so grateful for every time I was knocked on my ass for every time I put myself on my ass for every time that I like just all of it, the bumps, the bruises, the ahas, the what the fucks, like all of yeah. it. It's like, man, like what a really, um, you know, we talk about it like, uh, like what life can be. I mean, of course, Miracle says it's all just a big classroom, but it's like when stones need to be polished and you take off their rough edges by banging up against each other, right? This is what I think we're doing. We're always just kind of banging up against our own, our own perception 
of not just who we are, but who we think, quote unquote, think we are. So I think it's so important when you say that, like I'm coming to this realization of who I am not. Right, right. And that, that is just like, yeah. And I think that there's like this added pressure now sometimes with social media where people think they're supposed to be at the destination before they're at really are. Because when you say you have to be the walking embodiment of like what you're, whatever the solution is that you're selling, if you haven't figured it out for yourself, so now there has to be all this posturing and performing and pretending that you've got it figured out. But people, like especially New Englanders, like we have really good bullshit sniffers. I'm like, I don't know, something's funky over there. Something's funky over there. So this whole concept of, of being in alignment, like your thoughts, words, and actions, if they're not, if they're not in alignment, shit just won't work. And I, I th- I'm sure you, I mean, you way more than me because you've helped, you know, you've helped a gazillion like coaches kind of step into their power of wanting, like you always say, you know, helping people who do good now also do well. And that was such a powerful concept to me because I remember at the Big Shift experience, like standing up and getting on the mic and uh, you were speaking on stage and it's like Q&A and I'm like, okay, look, so I get up to basically tell you how I'm not doing your program. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not doing it this year. I'm going to do it next year. And I basically say, I'm a yoga teacher married to a professional musician. And the room of like 600 people started laughing. And I'll never forget just being like, Oh, and then hearing you say um, something like you guys are like laughing like that is a like you didn't call it a death sentence, but like that that's a limitation somehow. And you saw it totally differently and you pretty much <laughs> bossed me out of the room and you're like, go to the back of the room and go talk to a coach and blah, blah, blah. And you basically said to me, why the fuck are you going to delay your dream a year? <laughs> like, why are you going to put it off? And so I thought it was just so fascinating that I had put some sort, they were laughing as a reflection of some belief that I had, that mm. I had the limitation. And you like, I call it shaking the baby. You like strict the baby on me. And you were like, what are you doing? Why would you put this off? And that was a life changer for me, Bill Barron. You, you've had these pockets of saying things to me, but the, 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 the things that you've said to me over the past two years have just been reflections of the way that you saw me that mm. I couldn't yet see for myself. Mm. So thank you for that. Yeah. You make it easy to see you and that's that. Thank you for that. You're going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've always just felt like, um, you know, my, I be- always believe that my mom has, um, when, when she left me, I often say that the, the space that was left by, my mom leaving when I was 12, um, it created a lot of space for God. <laughs> but it also created a lot of space for other teachers, other mentors, other people, because she, I was so blinded. Uh, she was the son of my solar system. And I, I stared into her son. And I think I would have just, if she had remained alive, I think I would have become um, stuck in, in my orbit. I don't know if I ever would have left Lawrence. I don't know if I ever would have went to BU or went to California. So I think her leaving when she did created a lot of room for really powerful mentors who had points of views and skill sets and things that I I didn't have. And so you're one of these people in my life who I will always credit with. Like, um, I've learned so much about business. I've learned so much about myself. 
Uh, and I, I am, I'm just so grateful. And, and I wish like, I know that you're doing things differently now, like big shift on some level, I would say doesn't exist, but not in the same capacity. You're doing it with, with your, your new company. But I really wish everybody could have a, have a little uh, Bill Barron in their life. I wish everybody could have a little, a little taste of, um, because you have a, a way of, um, you have a way of like, how do I say this? You don't call people on their bullshit <laughs> to be mean. You do it to set them free. Any thoughts about any of this? <laughs> I love people enough to tell them the truth as I see it. Mm. And, um, you know, the one thing, you know, I, I had this experience. I was leading an event. There were about 250 people in the room. And there's this, oh, it's just this lovely woman who I'd met once before and who was really in her stories and was procrastinating. And I just knew that the, the, there needed to be an intervention. Mm. And it was like, the, you know, my, my, my intention is always, um, if I'm gonna be talking to somebody in that setting, I wanna make sure that they're transformed in some sort of way. And so I actually left the stage and I went into the audience and I spoke to her and she would go into stories and I would go, no, look at me. No. And she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop. And then we got to the point where, cause she was saying, you know, I'm going to do it very similarly. And it wasn't like to sign up for a program. It was just so that she does the work. Right. We'll do it in January. And I spoke to this coach right there and he said, yeah, January sounds like a good idea. Nope. I was like, nope, it's you and me right now. No other conversation matters. And it took me, I don't know, it felt like an eternity just to get her with me. Yes. And then uh, I was like, all right, it sounds like January is probably the right time. You're not ready for it now. And I was just like, and she was like, no, I am starting August 5th. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I was like, thank you. And I left and like the entire place just exploded. And I was like, and you know, she, you know, and then I came to her afterwards cause I was like, I wanted to make sure that I cleaned up the tough love you know, in that moment. And then she said it was like, she posted on in the group, she, like it was the most, most difficult experience of being coached and the most transformational. Yep. And so it's like, can we love people enough to tell them the truth with an open heart? I 100% amen agree. Uh, people often say like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. They always say people will be like, yeah, I need you to come and kick my ass. And I always say, well, okay, but can I also like hold your hand and be a little nice? Because I think that's it. It's like the tough love. Um, tough love has always been a great way that I've learned. But remember, there's two things there. There's tough and then there's love, right? And I remember I've seen you in action. I mean, I have seen you in action at so many events and at the retreats and on the calls and like whatever. And um, so it's been fascinating to watch the process. And I've also seen you do these things where, like, how do I say this? Sometimes somebody's standing up exactly like you're talking about, like with their bullshit stories. And they're just like, oh, 
fighting for their limitations and it's exhausting. You're just like, oh my God. And, and I've just watched you kind of do what you just explained, but there's also been other times when like you're talking and then like you just stop. And all of a sudden it's like, like something, I call it your spiritual team, call it Holy Spirit, God, divine. I don't care what you call it in a teacher. All of a sudden, just like you, something comes out of your mouth and the look on the person's face who's receiving it is like, holy shit. How could you have known that? So you've kind of become known as the, and I'm doing air quotes for the people at home, but it's true. The business oracle. You've kind of become known as like, you know, the dude with the business mojo and you have a gift of insight, of intuition. And I, it's not that I, please hear this the way that I mean this respectfully. It's not that I find that so fascinating because I think we're all able to channel, but it's your, your level of trust of that inner voice. And you will, you'll just be like, I don't know. I'm just going to say it like, this is the thing, but you like deliver it. And it's every time I've seen you do it, like I get giddy, like I get really excited because I'm like, Oh, he's about to drop some shit on these people right now. And people are just amazed. So can you just talk a little bit about um, this business Oracle thing and, and how you came to trust whatever you call it, the inner voice, the inner teacher, your spiritual team? Yeah. So it was interesting. I was, uh, I did this little quiz around, uh, like intuition and apparently I come out clairsentient, which is like a feeling comes out. It's not like words, it's not images, you know, so that that's like my intuitive sense. And, um, and so I'll speak about what's, what, what, what happens for me now and then I'll try to fill in the story. And I think for me now, it's like when that, feeling inside is able to be quickly translated into words where it's like, Oh, there's like, I'm experiencing something. And then like it, there's like this deep knowing, okay, okay, this is it. This is it. And in those moments, there's not like, there's no room for doubt. Mm. There's no room for doubt of, for any other truth inside of me. Mm. and uh and i may share it and i have the this experience sometimes the other person goes oh yes and like instant tears or like this instant knowing right like they were like the resistance melts away and sometimes what happens it actually activates the resistance yes and both things happen. And, and so after the intuitive and the inner knowing, it's like in that moment, I'm so clear that even if, there isn't, if there's resistance, that that resistance is false, that that resistance doesn't actually exist, and that there's an opportunity for us in the moment to create a transformation, right? And, and it's like, this has happened. I'll give you an example of this. This was like a, the most extreme case of this. So there's this woman and she helps, she's a, a coach that helps women post uh, cancer diagnosis. Okay. She's a survivor and I can feel like in that moment, it was like, it was just like, it just hit me. I'm like, oh my God. It's like anger was a thing that created the cancer and she's not aware of it. 
and and it's the very thing that's preventing her from doing the work it was all there and she's like i don't have any anger mm. and so i don't even know how it happened because it was a blur like i became her ex-husband and and I embodied his energy and then her anger came out and like she was in my face and then she hit me, she slapped me and I baited her and asked for more. And, and like, and I was like, it, and I just kept on saying, is that all you got? And the anger just completely melted away and all there was by the end is love. And it was like one of those experiences of like, okay, well, here's what's the situation where there's a lot of resistance and there wasn't an inner knowing, but there's a, always a way to get through that and get through it in whatever way. And one of the things that people were saying to me afterwards was like, oh, I was like, what did you get out of it? Because I didn't know. I was scared. I was like, yeah. what's the room feeling? Like, I, but I'm just. You, with, you're following your assignment, man. And, and what people said to me was like, oh my God, the commitment to just like stand in the line of fire and do whatever it takes to create transformation. And so it's like, and that's like right now, that's more important to me than anything else, right? Like, it's like, how can I be that for as many people as possible without like, I'm taking care of financially. I'm like... I don't need to be thinking about making more money or doing any of those things. It's like, how do I put myself in the situation where I'm in my gifts, when I'm in my zone of genius and just doing the things that I feel like will impact one person, but as a result of impacting one person, we're impacting lots more people. That is so powerful. And I think two things that came up while you were telling that story. And the first one was, I remember at Big Shift 2017, um, where we, it was a similar experience, but it was a dude. I know, I'm, I'm friendly with him. I know exactly who it is. And uh, I remember him standing up and he was really angry. And he was just like, you know, like literally his whole physical body looked like it was getting puffed and red. And, and, and you basically said, I'm not afraid of your anger. Mm. And I remember you took him over to the side and you were like, let me have it. I'll never forget this. It's a different story, but same thing. And it was like intense. But I also was just like, okay. And this is my second point to this. So I can attest to those of you who are listening, this is a real deal. Like I've seen him actually do this before, number one. Number two is that some part of you has to be willing to let go of the personal identification because maybe Bill on some level, right, wasn't up to that task of holding that space and being fearless. So we have to be willing, I think, to surrender um, some, some part of our identification or surrender, how do I say this? Am I going to be right? Is this going to be helpful? It's like just really I, the individual curriculum that A Course in Miracle calls it. So I've just got to show up for my assignment and trust that it was given to the right person and not question, am I up to this task? in my hu very clumsy humanness, but something greater is standing with me. So 
if you're, you know, if it's too personal, you don't have to discuss, discuss it. But as far as your spirituality or your, um, your beliefs or your faith or whatever, do you have spiritual daily spiritual practices in place that allow you to, um, kind of stand in that? Or have you just come to a place of just knowing and trusting enough? Like, I'm, I'm really curious about kind of your spiritual leaning. Yeah. So as far as doing that kind of work, uh, at this point, uh, I'm not saying that I've arrived, but at this point, the, a spiritual practice is no longer needed. Yes. It's become unconscious competence. It's, it's, it's at a point where it's like, I, it, like I'm at a place where it's a given. Yes. At the same time, um, it's kind of interesting because I, you know, as you know, my, my wife is a, a devout student of the Course in Miracles. Yes, and, uh, it it is, you know, by f by far the number one relationship in her life, and uh, and I embrace that, and I don't need me to be the number one relationship in her life. Yeah. Um, and you know, so much of of my sort of spiritual growth comes from being a sponge in the vicinity of a committed student. Yes, I and, think it's really powerful. Yeah, and so you know, having you know, having conversations, it's 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 kind of interesting. I'm 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 a I'm a little odd bird in this regard. I'm deeply spiritual, but. Like, how can somebody who's like borderline agnostic be deeply spiritual? Like, I don't understand it, right? It's like, I, I, I totally understand it. Yeah. Well, maybe you could explain it to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so something that you're saying that's really important um, with my students, I always tell them like, uh, I'm hardcore, non-negotiable daily spiritual practices, because it's very clear to me, like when the course says an undisciplined mind, an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. So let's get some stabilizers in place. But what I always say to them, like spiritual practices and even, I don't have my books on the other side of the wall, uh, spiritual practices, yoga, Course in Miracles, meditation, prayer, all of it, whether it's the books or the whatever you're, you know, taking in, um, their, their whole goal, and this is the goal of, I think, of a true spiritual mentor and a true coach and teacher is to get you to a place where you no longer need them. <laughs> I always say I have the worst fucking business model going, which is I'm trying to get you to a place where you don't need me anymore. <laughs> but that's really, that's really what I'm here to do is to point back to you that, that, that you have exactly what you said. Daily spiritual practice no longer necessary because you've embodied it. And I feel like for me, it's, it's very similar. I have a deep unwavering faith, but it's not in like, how do I say this? It's, it's different than the faith of my childhood. I was raised Catholic, right? So I think there's something to um, not needing the external things anymore. You just become faith. You become it. So this concept of being like agnostic and not assigning power to external things, of just being the thing, it's like I just think that that's I totally get it. I'm like, I, like I'm doing this Sunday spiritual thing. I don't, you saw it, right? So I'm just inviting people to just get, it's really about like deepening your relationship with God, AKA yourself, <laughs> you know, and starting to understand what I believe and why I believe and what does it all mean? And I think it's beautiful that you've come to a place, maybe not of a hundred percent understanding, but a pretty deep understanding. 
that we just ask. Spirit just is. Like the one thing I know, whether you call it God or not, is love is. God is. We complicate it, but it doesn't need to be that complicated, right? So anyway, so I totally, I totally get that. And, and I love that you have brought, like there's something so powerful that you can be a really deeply spiritual person and apply that to your business practices that you actually can make an, a lot of money when you get that money's just a, a, whatever you, so let me ask you this. How do you, I don't want to put words on you. I want you to tell the people. How do you view money in terms of what it is, how we use it? Like, is it an energy? Is it an exchange? Is it like whatever? I would love to hear what you think about this because so many people get fucked up around money stories. Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting because uh, I'm, I, I'm uh, I, I think I'm putting a lot more of my emphasis on really my work around money. Um, I'm looking at, you know, creating a course. I'm looking at writing a book. It's just like, it just feels right for me right now. Yes. Um, I'm excited by the way. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> but when I, when I like, and I, when I think about doing that work, I'm super excited. I feel completely in alignment. I'm like, and I feel like the time is now, like all of it is there. Right. Mm -hmm. like, you asked me the question about money and I was like, I'll tell you what my reaction was. Who gives a shit about money? Right? Like that was my first reaction. I like, get it. I was like, and it's, and it, and it's so interesting. And I, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you what I'm coming up. It's like, there is a threshold, right? It's like, this is what I need to live a comfortable life. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, it, it is almost, we're hardwired to, um, to, to have fear and stress around money. Like that's hardwiring because that's like our, like the safety mechanism. Survival, right. Yeah, exactly. So, and then anything beyond that point, it's all our own internal shit, right? So money <laughs> also becomes like thing, oh, that, Ah, my ability to receive. Yeah. Or my ability to have faith that when I'm fully generous, like, like, imagine this, right? Like, I will give away everything I own into the places that I feel the world needs. Mm -hmm. And I have absolute faith that I'm taken care of, right? So, you know, imagine a world where everybody lived that way. And we, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the whole money laundering service, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was so helpful to me. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, yes, like all this money come in and the more like, imagine this, like I have the capacity to have a shitload of money come through me. Yes. Right. So like, think about this, like if all of the people that are conscious, that are spiritual, that are really wanting to do good world work, the ones that have the best values in the world. Yes. Right. Imagine us all being like this incredible money laundering service where all of the money of the world starts to go into places that are doing good. Dude. Amen. Amen and hallelujah. Like that is a vision of, I'll never forget you saying that to me 
about how um, we were laughing because you're like, I don't know, man. I said, look, I don't feel like I have money issues, but I feel like there's just this thing so deeply embedded in my head. And you were like, I go, I can't even get to it. And you were like, I think you were a monk in a former life. And we were talking about all these different things. And then you said to me, all of a sudden you were like, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of your business as a money laundering business. And all this money is coming from like out there, like into you, you who, who want to do good, like you who have blah, 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 blah. And as soon as you said that, I was like, bring all the money my way. We are now open for business, right? Yeah, and exactly. it totally shifted it. And I think too, is like exactly what you said. Like when I know the exact, like, how do I say this? Like vibration of that attitude of who fucking cares about money? Because it's, it's, it's an illusion. It's something that we've made up. It's like a monopoly, all the little game pieces. Like that's all it is. It's just all a game. And we can assign the meaning that we want to assign to it. And I think so many of us get, people are so terrified. They're so bogged down in like in the meaning and the attachment that they've given to it. But I think that's the whole point. Like if you do this, these classes or these courses or you write this book, like that's the heartbeat of it. Like you get them in the door and then they sit down and you're like, who fucking cares about money? And they're like, whoa, wait. And then you get to help them to see the light. Like go to the light, Caroline. Like they get to see yeah, it from yeah. a different point of view, you know? You know, Karen, so interesting, you know, how, um, you know, one of the things that's hard in The Course in Miracles for most people, including myself, is this idea that the body's not real. Yes. The world is not real, right? Yes. Like, but money is almost like the perfect symbol for it because it's like not real in the nth degree. It is, you know, like at least this piece of wood that I'm <laughs> like, it's tangible, right? Like it's, it was... But money isn't money is like, it's like It's like, it's, it's like paper. It's, not, it's not even paper anymore. It's like, I, I, it's like, like so, something in the ether, right? Like, so it's like, oh my God, that's like the perfect example of like, yes. of what the Course in Miracles is actually saying. Like money is so not real. <laughs> it's so true. And it's so fascinating because, um, when we talk about A Course in Miracles, somebody was saying something to me the other day. I don't know if I was being interviewed for a podcast or something. And I was like, look, I don't start with none of this is real. <laughs> I go, because people like can't, because they'll be like, don't tell me my kids aren't real. Don't tell me my suffering isn't real. Don't tell me I wasn't raped. Don't tell me I have a, I didn't have a murdered mother. Don't tell me like, like we're so attached to it being real. But in the attachment to it all being real is where the suffering or the free, like it's where the suffering lies. So the older I get, the lighter I become. Mm -hmm. And I think about enlightenment to me is just becoming lighter. Oh my God, that's your weight loss book. There it I is. Know, right? <laughs> no, but I just think, I just don't take, you know, A Course in Miracles uh, says don't make it real. But I always say, like, I try to ease that and I say like, well, yeah, just don't make it all such a big fucking deal. <laughs> And that's really what it is. And that's how I'm experiencing it. And I think since I've been able, since you, I swear to God, since you said that to me about the Monday laundering business, there was like a light, it was like, bleep, like a switch went off. And I was like, oh, and since then, like, I'm like, I always say, like, my goal was to um, work with less clients, but like, you know, for lack of charge more money, but I could do it because I knew what I was bringing to the table. And so you've helped me so much. Like, again, it's like why I, um, I wish everybody could have a, a way to, um, 
experience you. And I think because of the way you're doing your business now, I don't know the access that the quote unquote public has to you. So you writing a book or doing something, uh, I think would be so incredibly helpful because uh, the world, I think, benefits from a person whose only agenda is to be helpful, is to be a part of transformation. And, and you talk about this a lot about, um, I thought it was so fascinating about this concept of, of, of movement and starting a movement. And everybody's like, I feel like all the hustlers right now are like, I got to start a movement. I'm like, no, you don't start a movement. A movement gets started because like the ministry, the mission, the mission is in, is in alignment. But I think that you are the kind of person and you've already done it. So I don't want to be, you've already started some movements. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if, if I should say I started some movements. I think, I think um, a movement is something that organically develops in the, in the morphic field of the illusion. And, uh, and then from there, uh, certain people that are vibrating at that same frequency of that morphic field wind up being attracted to it and on some level become the spokespeople of the movement that already exists. So that's the way that I see it. It's like, you know, this, this notion, you know, like one of the things that was my spiritual practice two years ago was playing with this notion of um, that which you own owns you. Mm. Right. And similarly here, that which you claim as yours has the same power to own you. Right. So I don't want to, claim any movement as mine but i want to be a servant yes movement that is already in place i love that and i think that um but sometimes you can be the divine spark yeah ignites a movement because i think that um you know somewhere in the bible and it's also somewhere in A Course in Miracles, but there's this concept of, I always paraphrase, I always paraphrase with The Course in Miracles, police don't come after me. But it's like, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm like- without strong, ironically. Yes, yes, I know. So I always say like, um, you know, the divine has no hands but yours, no feet but yours, no mouth but yours, right? And so people will say to me now, like nowadays, like, what are you up to? And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to be the best assistant to God that there is. Like, that's my job. I'm just an assistant. I'm a lowly assistant, just trying to get my orders and like do the, be the best servant, you know, that I can be. And I think, I think sometimes because of the lens through which we see ourselves, we either see ourselves as too self-important or we see ourselves as not up to the task. Mm. And so I think that, you know, um, I think there's there's something of yeah this whole human experience man I think is just trying to point to the to the thing that we are all divinely up to the task. <laughs> wow. It's kind of interesting as you're saying that I was like, "Huh, that's an interesting thing. Can one be supremely confident but devoid of egoic pushing?" Yes. Right. I and agree. I, I think it's thing. totally possible. Yeah, yeah. I do too. I think it's totally possible. So the last thing, look, you got shit to do. You're an important person. I could talk to you all day. But something that I want to ask you about, because I find this so fascinating. So my meditation teacher, Ashwaran, Eknath Ashwaran, he once told this story about um, this concept of winning at life. And this guy that he tells the story about was like a, um, a really talented poker player. 
And the guy used to say, doesn't matter what cards they give me, I'm going to win. It doesn't matter what kind of hand life like, you know, like deals me, I'm going to come out on top. And I believe that. I believe that no matter what's happening, and maybe this is arrogant, but I really believe it. I'm like, oh, no, no. I am totally loved. I am, to I am totally loved. So whatever's coming to my Zua, just because I might not have the capacity to understand how it's for me, even if I don't like it or don't understand it, I am so beloved that I know it's for me. So this is interesting, right? So I kind of have this idea. Now, I remember being so delighted and surprised when I found out that you were like, a pretty badass poker player. And uh, my sister actually deals cards. My sister is a poker dealer and she, you know, it's one of her gigs. And so I'm fascinated. And we grew up playing cards, 45s, which is a New England game. Like, da, da, da. my whole point being is this. What do you think it is? Because I think playing cards is kind of a metaphor for life in a lot of ways. And it's a big game. But why do you, what do you think that you possess whether it's your mindset, your physical skill, body language, that makes you a really good poker player. Because you've been in like how many big, big time tournaments? Yeah, I, I've played, a, uh, you know, a, a few. Uh, World then, Series of Poker, dude. Come yeah. on, don't be that, that, you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, uh, there's two questions here that I'd like to answer. So the first one, it, it when I started to use poker as a spiritual practice, yeah, things really elevated for me. And so the first thing, it's kind of along the lines of what you were saying, I get the cards. And every time I get the cards, there's, you know, when you look at the poker statistics, right? Like if you get ace, king, ace, queen, ace, 10, double aces, two kings, two queens, like those are the two cards that you've got. There's a hierarchy of what cards are good and what cards are not yeah. all the way to seven deuce which is like the worst cards <laughs> right of different suits right yes and so it's like there's a hierarchy right and i and i and i always thought of it in this way it's like okay how can i get the cards and be absolutely neutral in in their quality so that was the first aspect of it. And the second aspect of it was after the hand is over, how can I be absolutely neutral? How can I be absolutely neutral? Because poker is about uh, deciding what moves you're going to make and when, right? And oftentimes, beginning poker players make the moves at the wrong time. Like they're not patient enough to be in a in the situation where there's an opening don't you think that your business acumen because you've known when to make moves do you yeah. think that that's helped you in polka i think all aspects of life yeah kind of affect and um interesting form the others right so yeah but i i think all of it and, and it's like we were talking about business and it's like i think the thing that i've been good at is seeing the need equal opportunity in any given moment, right? It's like, how can I see the need and go, all right, well, and then say yes, because wow. I believe I am the right person to make that move. Okay. Right? Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. And, so it, and it's, a, and it's the same in poker, right? Like, and sometimes I would go to a tournament. I'll give you an example. I go to a tournament. I'm like, all right, here's what I want to practice. Then when I get in the 20% 
of the worst hands. <laughs> Can I just maximize that experience and still see if there's opportunities? And I cannot tell you how many really big hands I've won with a seven deuce. With like the worst cards. Well, but there has to be something that you're projecting because I do believe that part of polka is physical. Like there's a, there's an interesting thing to me about, um, like, let me say it like this. It's acting. Yes, exactly my point. I was going to say, I cannot control, like, I have a terrible time not um, broadcasting and amplifying internal emotions on my face. But, but um, think of it like two or three layered emotion, right? So I have good cards or I have really bad cards. How can I be the person <laughs> that's projecting? No, no, no. That's projecting someone who is trying to act like you have bad cards, but really you have good cards. So somebody's going, wait, I think they're acting in the opposite way than they're really, it's like, it's, it's, it's such a psychological trip is what I'm kind of pointing to. I think that there's something fascinating about it because I always feel like, like when I like think about, I love cards, like I love playing growing up, but I think, oh my God, that's so stressful. When I think about it, I, I even do this. I want to stop pulling at my shirt. I'm like, oh my God, that's so stressful. And I'm like, you can just sit there like calm as a fucking cucumber. Like, cool, yeah, cool. I cool. think you can sit there calm as a cucumber while shit is going inside. Right? Yes. So that's the reason why it's, it's actually a, uh, uh, Powerful practice. Intense, but also tiring game. Right? You have to you have don't... mental stamina. You have to be mentally strong. And I wanted to say, hold on, there was something that just tickled my brain. It was about, okay, I know what I wanted to say. So I keep a quote. I keep a quote on my computer um, by the famous writer Henry James. And it applies for me, I think, in all areas of my life, but very strongly as a mentor spiritual mentor and as a writer. And he says, um, try to be the kind of person upon whom nothing is lost. Mm. And I think as a poker player, you also, like you said, like, because you are, you have to be thinking, I think, I, and I'm not a good poker player, so what do I know? Um, I'd rather do like <laughs> quarter slots or something. But it's like, okay, I have to be thinking a couple of moves ahead, or are you, or is it more just being more really present? Mm. There's so much is happening, right? It's what my cards are, what my position at the table is, what has happened with every player and their emotional state uh, in previous hand, what are they projecting now? What do I think they really have? What, what, what moves should they be making if they had these cards? And what moves should they making if they had these cards? And are they playing the game or are they bluffing every move, right? Like, is there any inconsistencies in their moves throughout this experience? You cannot yeah. be, a, you have to pay such close attention is my point. Oh my God. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, so it's tell a, me, tell me if you can, what, why or what you get to decide. Do you love, why do you love to play poker or what do you love most about poker? So 
Uh, full disclosure, about two years ago, my wife and I made a, an agreement that I will not be playing poker anymore. <laughs> okay, what did you love, past tense, about it? So, but, but I want to explain what, what the very thing that I loved is the very thing why I didn't want to do it anymore. Because yeah. it is, 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 it's incredibly intense. And it's incredibly taxing and it's incredibly complicated. So what I loved about it, it's like, it's, it's a blend of psychology. Yes strategy and self-awareness and then self-management right so all of those things together sounds like business sounds like running a business it is yeah yeah and so those are the things that i really loved about it but it's really intense like you you know you go to a poker tournament and if you're doing well you are going to be playing from like noon to midnight and then you start noon the next day until you know it's like ten thousand people in the tournament and everybody's going out and right so it's it's tiring and it wasn't healthy for me yeah i i i think that um i'm fast i'm i'm just fascinated by like you know when people have skill sets that like it's just like my sweetie being a professional musician and how music is just a language like he tries to explain chords to me and why this is an a and that's a g and that's an a and I, I look at him and I grew up in a family of musicians and I just get so frustrated. I'm like, sweetie, you might as well be Charlie Brown's teacher right now. Wah, wah, wah. I'm like humans, emotions, like spirit talk all day long in my zone, genius. You try to explain to me why that's a C and that's a D and you move the, I just go like, it like hurts my brain. So I'm fascinated when people I love, even people I don't love, have skill sets that aren't like super available to me. And so I find this whole poker thing like, uh, because I think there's so many spiritual lessons in it. It's probably why I'm attracted to it, right? Yeah, it all is. right. So, uh, look, I could talk to you again all day long. So the last thing, I just want to give you a chance to do your whole um, business oracle thing. And just for the people listening, if there was one thing, because I, it's not that I attract any particular kind of crowd. I think uh, all different people listen to this. So it's not just specifically entrepreneurs or whatever. So I'm just going to trust you to just kind of tap into whatever you feel called to, to leave as your uh, final whatever for the people who are listening. If there's anything you feel uh, called to share. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is... This is uh we are so complicated as human beings. There is, we are simul we simultaneously believe that we are more special than we really are, while at the same time believing that we're not enough. And, and oftentimes what I find in this world is that we want to bounce from one end to the next. Right, like I'm feeling not enough. And the answer is to be more special in our own minds and the minds of everyone. But the reality is both of those poles are a complete trap, right? We are not special and we are so much more than enough. And that as humanity, we're tapping into an infinitesimal portion of our true potential. And if we can just surrender to that next 1% and then that next 1% and that next 1% of our true potential while simultaneously letting go of the need to be special, 
while continually popping that ego balloon that blows up with accomplishments or praise or any of those things. And that is the practice. And that is what I believe two, three, 500 years from now, if humanity is to exist still, that is the path that we're on as humanity. There's so much that I love about that, but it would take us 20 more minutes to talk about, so I'm just going to shut my big fat fucking mouth. <laughs> oh my God. For those of you who are not watching this, but are listening, it's like <laughs> watching you hold back from like another half hour conversation is priceless. You guys, you know how it is to be KK. I can't help it. Sometimes I get so excited. Oh my God. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, I know some people are going to be like, I love this dude. He talks about business in life in a way that so many other business coaches and mentors aren't doing. I need a little taste of this. How can they, because I know you're doing, so I just want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the, the work that you're doing or how people can reach you. I know on Instagram, all your, you know, your little social media links I can put on the episode thing, but how can people get a little more Bill Barron in their lives right now? And are there any options? I don't want to put you on the spot. Are there any options? There's not a lot of options right now. And it's been uh, a conscious process. Yeah. Um, I, I'm doing a lot of work at Health Coach Institute. So if there's any sort of coaching programs, I'm all, all over those kind of things. Yeah. I, like last month, I started like doing the Instagram thing. Yeah, I was, like, no, I was so psyched to see you on there. I was like, there he is. There's finally more than one picture of you and Gia. Yeah, exactly. So like right now it's just, it's fun to figure out a new platform and I'd love to connect with people there at my, you know, Bill Barron. Uh, and then uh, my podcast, uh, The Big Shift, you know, it's on iTunes. I'm going to be putting more yes. episodes uh, in, in a bit. And uh and I know this isn't the answer to your question, but I, 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 I want to do something with you, Karen. I, you know, I don't, say that a lot, almost never. And, uh, but it's just, I kept on feeling it throughout this entire, um, conversation. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you some of the things that I am, uh, looking to do and, and as a way to tell people like what's on my mind, but also as a way to maybe invite you to do something like this. So I'm looking to create uh, a one, one week experience in Bali. And right now the tentative title is called Awaken. Yes. And, and, and it's really like this, because I have this knowing about this potential of humanity that's being untapped right now. And it all starts with, sort of individuals that could be activated. So really that's what it's about. But I, I want to be like, like I'm, I see it as a lab, right? So I'm like really into how lucid dreaming can be a way to, to solve some of the most important creative problems that we have. And it's a way of using lucid dreaming to like heal some of our traumas of the past. I've been really into like, the Wim Hof method. I just did oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> like uh, the, the whole ice bath thing just last weekend. It's freaking phenomenal of like opening up the channels of potentiality. And so 
like I really love that sort of thing. And I just want to, I want to create an experience like that. And I'm probably only going to take 20 or 30 people through it. And cause it, it's, it's exciting to me. And there's so much right now in our world that is untapped, even like crazy stuff that I've never like tried before. Like I know there's a way of like tapping in and using like, things like psilocybin or using breathing techniques to like tap into ways of, of like shifting our perception of reality. And uh, so these are some of the other things that I'm really fascinated by. Yeah. I remember, I remember when um, we were finishing our program with you and, uh, and I just kept saying to you, we, so for those of you who, it's a private joke, but I think it's really good. And, and people who watch the show will understand it. But uh, the show, show Billion, and the talk about, um, all of a sudden my audio got really weird. Does it sound weird on your end? You sound fabulous. Oh, it's so strange. Maybe it's just on my end. I'm too afraid to pause it, so we'll just see what happens. Yeah. But So there's a show called Billions, and one of the characters, so two of the characters, the two main characters who I love, uh, are talking about another guy that works with him and they're they're kind of basing his ability to like hang at their level or be with them or whatever as like is he a wilbury and if you're a fan which i'm a huge fan of the traveling wilburys with like tom tom petty and george harrison and roy arbison and uh, mike from ELO, all these guys it's like oh my god so you have um you have this way of kind of like I don't know. You have you set a standard for me of kind of like what a Wilbury is, right? And you gotta have you gotta check all the boxes. <laughs> so you check a lot of the boxes for me. And I I just uh, did you see how I reacted when you said you want? I was like oh like I just got totally geeked out for a second there because I'm just like oh my god, I think that we're all on some level Wilburys, and we just don't know it yet. And like you're talking, what you're talking about exactly is these this untapped potential of the human mind, of the human spirit, right? And we, we've placed all these limitations on us. And it's, it's almost like modern day astronauts. It's like exploring the great beyond, right? That we're, we're, that we're not aware of. And I think like Wim Hof is a mad genius. Like I just think he's incredible. And there's another dude named David Goggins. Do you know who David Goggins is? Uh, look him up. So David Goggins is intense, but he's a former, I wanna say he was a Navy SEAL but he was really, really, really heavy. And he like lost all this weight and he had to train his mind and train his mind. And he is like the hot, he's hardcore motherfucker. You don't mess with Goggins. Like people hire Goggins to like come to their house to like get them to cut the shit. It's like so intense. So there's a level though, of, like even though your vibe is very like steady and calm, there's a lot of like, like in yoga, we sometimes, I sometimes talk about it like this, like, bhakti like bhakti is very devotional and beautiful but sometimes shakti and you're a beautiful blend i think of both of these energies and so i just know that anything that you created would be like so incredible and to finally make my point when you started when we were coming to the end of um all stars <clears throat> and that whole program was ending because you're shifting into this new thing i remember being fascinated and asking you like health coach institute like, and I said something to you, I'm paraphrasing, like, so you think this is the way forward? And you were like, yes, I do. And now it's like that, it's like all the pieces are like, cha -ching, cha -ching, cha -ching, cha -ching, are like dropping into me because it's, it's beyond just that. 
And I, I don't know where exactly you're going, but I like where you're going. <laughs> and I'm fascinated by it. So you guys, you can totally check them out. Oh, I have one more question. I'm so sorry. We can totally check them out at Bill, at Bill Barron on Instagram. You'll be able to go to the episode. You'll see all his stuff. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, because I think so many people have drank the Kool-Aid that in order to be really successful, make a lot of money, do all these things in the illusion that you have to have a huge social media presence. But you personally haven't. But is it because your business did? Do you see what I'm saying? Like you as Bill Barron are kind of a separate, um, like you're exploring social media as you, as an individual now. And I remember you saying to me, yeah, I'm just curious about what, what it all means to me. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit just about that and then I'll let you go. I, I, I just, you know, so, social media is an interesting thing. It's like the new catchphrase, right? It's a new thing. The reality is, is that it's not a prerequisite for business success for anybody, including coaches. There's all kinds of different models that are not needed. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, imagine the entire world where we just did the things that fascinated them. <laughs> That's pretty much my business model. <laughs> and so like right now, from a personal perspective, I'm like fascinated with Instagram, right? Like, and I want to like post stuff and I want to share things, but I don't know what it's for, but it's just, it's just fun for me. And like, I went through a year where, I was fascinated with Musical.ly. It's like now it's uh, been bought and it's TikTok. It's another social site. And it's like, I was like, I might've been like, if anybody was watching my activities, they would think I was some sort of a crazy stalker, right? Like, there's like <laughs> anyway, right? But I was fascinated of like, what is everybody doing? What's the pattern of who's getting a large following? Ah, what's the pattern of, like, what are the patterns of money making of people using that. And I was like, okay, great. And as soon as I decoded what it was about, I stopped being interested and I was out, right? Yeah. And like, I don't know, cause I didn't have any desire for myself to post content on there. Cause that's not like those yes. are not people, but Instagram, I'm like, that might have some legs for me. Yeah. I think that um, Instagram will be better with you on it. <laughs> Because I think, no, no, because, well, I guess it depends on uh, the content that you decide to share. If you're yeah. going to keep it personal or yeah. if you're going to, and I, and I often say that, like, you know, I like being alone with my books. Mm -hmm. I'm on social media mostly because I have a business and, um, and it's not that I don't love to share, but I, I remember the days when, like, you know, we're of the age when we were alive when there weren't even answering machines. If you wanted to play with a kid, you called his house and his mother picked up the phone or it just rang and rang and rang and rang. Like everything was like, you had to go find out for yourself. You had to have an in-person experience. Yep. And so for me, it's like, um, I, again, that's a whole other hour long episode about social media. But anyways, I'm fascinated that you're on it. I'm happy that you're on it. Um, it's a way to stay connected because a part of me was just like, I was getting a weekly dose of, of, of BB for like two years, you know? And so now it's just kind of like, oh, cool. I can see what you're up to and you post a little something and, and it's nice, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious to see where it all goes for you. And I'm fascinated about this Bali thing. And you know me, I'm always down for <laughs> 
co-creating something because I think we would have a really good time. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate you. So thank you so much for being on the show, you guys. Thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, I, I'm, I think you can tell how much I adore him. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you chose. Look, you could be spending your time anywhere. And the fact that you decided to hang out with us two weirdos for a little while is, is pretty awesome. So you guys, you know that I'm going to say we in this case because I know him and I feel like I can attest to him. We see you. We hear you. We feel you. We celebrate you. We appreciate you. We love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.